The emerald ash borer is a small invasive green beetle that has pretty much devastated North American ash trees. It was first detected in southern Ontario and Michigan back in 2002 and likely arrived on wood packaging ships from Asia. And what the larvae do is they literally bore into the trees, disrupting their ability to transport water and nutrients, which eventually ends up killing the ash tree. In Asia, many of the trees there co-evolved with the insect, along with native wasps that preyed on the ash burrow's eggs. But in North America, it's been different. Here, the invasive species have thrived and spread quickly, already devastating New Jersey and Pennsylvania's trees. By the end of the decade, about 99% of untreated trees here will be dead. And when I did some searching, 2014 seems to be the year that a lot of local writers focused on the insect. Even back then, writers were noting there were certain treatments that could save ash trees if people had been proactive. My friend Tom Corrigan, who I know from the New Hope Run Club, is also the president at the Village 2 Association. Some years ago, he had mentioned that the guy who they contracted to manage the community actually saved Village 2's ash trees. This problem did come up. You know, as a board, we don't have extra money, typically, right? So budget money comes in, money comes out. And our fiduciary responsibility is to really balance that in a way that Number one, we're paying the bills. We're doing things that are essential to keep the community, you know, in the, the aesthetics that we have, the services we provide, et cetera. But we're doing that at minimal cost, and that's really what we struggle to do. So when things like the ash borer comes in to play and someone like Dan, you know, he approaches the board with some small expenditure request to talk about this future problem that we may have and how it can be a larger problem where we can lose all the trees, et cetera. And he has his pulse on what's coming, like the 2014 reference you made. Um, as a board, you know, we're really conscious of every dollar spent. We're spending all of our neighbors' money, including our own, when we're doing that. So to do something proactively, I guess is the point, is sometimes challenging, right? But Dan had the foresight to see that if we did a little bit of spending now, this is years ago, that we could eventually avoid a major problem later. And major problems, let's forget about the fact that we are losing trees in the association, which is very precious to us if you drive through, really try to maintain that full mature look that the association has. But now look at dollars, right? It doesn't, it's not free for trees to die when they're in the middle of the development. So the cost associated with cutting them down or removing them, we're watching I think many of our neighbors, both private homes and other developments, spending quite a few dollars. And just Dan's foresight, I think, was interesting that he was able to bring this issue up at a time when many of us had not even heard of that, of this problem coming, and convinced us to spend that little bit of money to do the protection measures. And what were those measures? Uh, I can give you a different example of a neighbor here outside of Village 2, but not far, that owns a private home with an acre, a little over an acre of property, and they've cut down over 40 trees Jeez. as a result of this. And the wow. dollar amounts were in the thousands. Oh, yeah, it's not cheap to cut down a tree. <laughs> it's not cheap. No, even when they're in the middle of the woods and they can fall on their own. It's not even like they're in your houses. But then, of course, you have the additional expense afterward to not have a pile of trees laying in your view if you're concerned about that, and they were. So they had to then pay someone to come in and actually cut them up and remove them. So 
cutting them down was one thing, losing the trees another, then removing them, and of course now replanting was something different. I mean, you're talking significant costs. Thinking of that example as just a private homeowner. So the person that Tom was mentioning's name is Dan Peel. Uh, Dan is a New Hope resident who owns community management that takes uh, care of a lot of the grounds and the pool at uh, Village 2 in New Hope. Well, yeah. Uh, see, I have a pesticide license that I keep because we run a pool complex and you need a pesticide license for that. So we stay abreast of what goes on with the trees and bushes because they're an important part of our community up here. Uh, we, it used to be a tree farm years ago and many, many years ago. And because of that, there's a lot of variation of trees up here, and so we like to try to protect them. So about 2012, I heard about this test uh, that was uh, coming, affecting the ash trees. Uh, and we looked into that, and uh, it became apparent that this uh, ash borer was uh, devastating a uh, whole force of ash trees. So I looked into what you could do and found a company, Will Tree Service, out of Will Grove, uh, that we first banded the trees because at that point, banding the trees was the cheapest, easiest route. But the more I looked into it, the more it became apparent that that lasts for a year. What is banding? What is banding? What banding is, is they put a band around the tree to stop the infiltration up of the ash borer, and then it has insecticide that's uh, contained within it that, that uh, temporarily kills them. But it's only a year-long uh, fix. And so I went back to them and said, the more I look into this, the more it looks like injection is a better route to go because you can inject the trees, and that lasts for five years. Uh, inside the tree. So uh, I went to my board in Village 2 and said to them, this is important. We have huge groves of ash trees surrounding our entire property and in sections up here. If we don't do something to save them, uh, we're going to lose these 50-year-old mature trees uh, and Village 2 will never look the same again. And my board absolutely agreed with me. And I gave them a five-year plan and I said, for the next five years, we want to spend 5000 to $7,500 on saving the ash trees. And so that's how the budget went. And we started with the biggest caliber trees first uh, because they were the most important ones to us. And then we uh, proceeded to go to the smallest caliber ash tree that was there. Uh, so we injected them all over uh, a five-year. It actually went into a six-year. Um, and then we started re-injecting some of the uh, first ones that we did, just to make sure that we did. And sure enough, the ash board got to Bucks County um, several years ago, and uh, it started devastating whole sections of trees. In fact, the section that I live in, Riverwoods, which is adjacent to the village too, uh, was slow to uh, get into the game. And they lost quite a few of their trees also. Uh, but uh, luckily, all the ashes, and especially the large mature ashes that we have, uh, have been saved and have virtually no damage to them whatsoever. 
It's funny that you say that. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, re I'm on Riverwoods at New Hope's website right now, and I, I see a, a posting from 2014 in April uh, talking about the Emerald Ashboro. Uh, and and um, it, it's crazy. Uh, so, I mean, I, what, what I've read, it came, it was first discovered in Ontario and Michigan in like 2002. Uh, and the, it was a, apparently a very cold winter in 2014, and I'm looking at this New York Times article from 2014. That's when everything seems to be the panic. Like, that's when I'm seeing a, a big spike in people that wrote about this, or I should say Americans that wrote about this, um, is right. in 2014. And that's when I'm seeing, like, and it basically is like Detroit just had the, the worst winter, the, the coldest winter ever, and it didn't kill any of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the, it's, they're very hard to control. The only way to do it is protect the tree from within. Uh, and uh, what, what we discovered was we were watching it progressing across the country. Uh, so, yes, you were absolutely right. It, it uh, was first in uh, 2002 in, in Detroit, in that area, in Michigan, and uh, slowly crept its way to us. In fact, uh, very early in, uh, 2014, 15, it was in Pittsburgh, creeping its way across Pennsylvania. Uh, and so we had followed that. And so we were very diligent to keep up injecting our trees to keeping them protected. And I convinced the board that uh, spending 50 to $75,000 was a bargain compared to trying to buy new trees to supplement where these mature trees died. Uh, so if you look at even the cost of taking down a mature ash tree the size of the ones that we have here, you know, that could be in the thousands of dollars. That can be twenty-five, three thousand dollars to take down a tree like that. And haul away it is. And get the stump out. Like, I, I had to take one down here on my property, and that's what ended up happening. Yes, yeah. So uh, it, it was a bargain for us to keep these mature trees here. Uh, and you do whatever you can to save them. Cool. And are you still injecting the trees currently, or is that stage we, past? We, we examine them every year to see how they look and what is going on with them. Uh, and you can see the little boreholes that we put in the, the trees where they plug them back up after they inject them. And so we can go from tree to tree and calculate what's going on with that tree. Uh, so we still have the World Tree Service uh, come by and... Uh, we're not spending as much on them now, but we still are spending uh, two to three thousand dollars a year on maintaining that injection that we put in. So, by my estimation, uh, Dan Peel has saved Village Two uh, quite a bit of money. Uh, when you add up other things that I'll get into, probably for an article like on how he was able to open the pool and uh, tennis club there in addition to uh, his savings on the tennis courts uh, with the resurfacing. All you need to do is just go over to the New Hope High School, uh, New Hope Silver High School, and see how much they just spent on resurfacing their tennis courts. But back to the ash trees. When, when you look at all of this deep down, there's probably one thing that's going through some of your minds right now, and that's the use of pesticides. Uh, my name is Mary Ann Borge, and I'm the team leader for Lamberville Goes Wild. Um, I also have a blog where I write about the uh, relationship between plants and animals. Hmm. And the name of the blog is The Natural Web. Um, the address is the-natural-web. So check it out because I have a lot of information about the relationship between plants and animals.
And Marianne lives up on uh, Cottage Hill in the Woodcrest uh, Home Association, uh, which is on the south side of town. And that association estimated that after an inventory that they had about 40% of the trees on the property were ash trees. And they had to really reconcile about which ones to cut down and what to do with the rest that they were not going to cut down. About 40% of our trees are ash trees. And so those ash trees have all been vulnerable to the emerald ash borer. And what we chose to do at Woodcrest was, um, and so there are hundreds of them, hundreds of ash trees Mm. on Woodcrest property. Um, It would not be feasible or cost-effective, or in my opinion, desirable, to treat all of the emerald ash, I mean, sorry, all of the ash trees for the emerald ash borer. What that means, what treatment means, and what they probably did at Village 2, and maybe you can enlighten me here, is um, to inject the trees with a pesticide that will kill the emerald ash borer, and that will save the trees. We elected to do that here in Woodcrest for about 60 of our ash trees, you know, ones that were really big and, you know, near homes and stuff like that. Um, But the ones in the natural areas, we just um, are not going to do that for multiple reasons. One is it wouldn't, you know, it takes a lot of money to do that. And um, another is, in my opinion, and this is my personal opinion, not Woodcrest's opinion, but um, I think it's um, kind of a losing proposition to use pesticides. And I, I think that... Um, yeah, you mentioned that at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have a problem with the use of pesticides because, you know, they're often sort of promoted as, this will take care of that pesky insect that you're particularly interested in, in this case, the emerald ash borer. But um, in general, pesticides will kill more than just the target insect. Pesticides are not so specific that it's just like, oh, it's only going to kill the emerald ash borer. There are other um, native insects that use our ash trees, and the chemical, that you know, the pesticide that you're injecting into the tree um, will be found throughout, it'll, it'll be spread throughout the tissues of the tree, through the tree's vascular system, which works to kill off the emerald ash borer because it's feeding on the vascular system via the inner bark. Um, but it would also uh, kill and or harm, at least, other insects that are feeding on it. We have some native um, borer beetles that feed on ash tree, ash trees. There's also, um, are you familiar, I don't know how familiar you are with butterflies, but you may have seen that pretty yellow and black big one, the um, eastern tiger swallowtail. Mm-hmm. That one, um, that butterfly uh, uses ash trees as one of its caterpillar food sources. Now, it does use other trees, like tulip trees and cherry trees, but um, ash trees are among the, the foods that, the, the plants that um, the eastern tiger swallowtail caterpillar um, can eat, the caterpillar eats the leaves. So if our eastern tiger swallowtails are laying eggs on the leaves of ash trees and that ash tree has been treated with this pesticide, those caterpillars are probably going to die. Um, ash trees are typically thought to be, and they are uh, primarily wind-pollinated, so they don't necessarily require the assistance of bees or other insects to help them transport their pollen. But um, just because the trees don't require it doesn't mean that insects like bees and flies 
they may still visit the um, the flowers of ash trees to harvest pollen because bees and flies actually eat pollen as part of their diet. So it could be affecting our bee population as well. Um, I Which is a big, big important issue. Are sort of targeted beetles, but they could still have a negative effect on other insects feeding on it. And then if other animals like birds are feeding on those insects, again, you can have a problem up the food chain. So you basically, as a, as a resident of Woodcrest, uh, had to compromise, you, you know, with, with your opinion. And I know that, that you obviously stated they had a different opinion than you personally. But right. so, so I mean, uh, what and I'm I, getting, I, go ahead. I can understand it because, you know, there are a lot of really, what Woodcrest chose to treat and what many people are doing are treating, you know, specimen trees, trees that are, you know, like in their front yard or near the house or that they've been there for years. And so, you know, you want to try to save the tree. And the hope is that, you know, at some point there'll be a stasis where, you know, like if um, our you know, environmental agencies are releasing insects that can keep the EAB in check, that maybe the ash trees will survive and at some point you can quit treating the trees. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's just a judgment call. You know, it is a judgment call. And I totally understand treating some trees. Um, I just, um, it's my personal preference not to. One a uh, group of birds is really been well a lot of birds are actually benefiting from the emerald ash borer especially the woodpeckers I, I don't know if you've seen but um on some ash trees you'll see the outer layer of bark stripped off and that's what i've seen is it's been pileated woodpeckers those really big woodpeckers have been they'll strip off the bark to get to the um the larva inside so they eat some of the larva and um dead wood is actually a good source of um, food and shelter for lots of insects and then birds will um, use the dead wood to um, they can you know drill into it to make homes for themselves so a lot of woodpeckers um, would be good nesting spots for them and then other birds use uh, cavities in in either dead or live wood like even chickadees and titmice um, I think white-throated sparrow I'm no, sorry. Uh, white-breasted nuthatches. You know, many of our local birds use uh, cavities in trees, dead or alive, to nest. So, And there'll be insects in those uh, trees helping to decompose it. So there's food. So it's, it's really, that wood is actually an important part of the ecosystem. You hmm. wouldn't really think it is, but it is. Interesting. And so, I mean, yeah. I guess just to, to, to round this out, I mean, our, our landscape is going to look, I mean, you know, the, the, I, I never realized how diverse the trees are on the East Coast compared to, I, I guess, in the South as well, the Southeast. But I never, you know, I think once you get past the Midwest, it, it really gets a lot less diverse. And I mean, what, what is our landscape going to look like with, with when, when at the end of the decade, which is when, from what I've been reading, 99% of these trees are going to be gone? Right. I mean, that's an excellent question. Um and it's, it's a really important question because of what I mentioned when we began, which is the interdependency of all of the animals, um, starting with the insects and working your way up the food chain on our native plants. And our dependency on all of those animals and the native plants as well, which we kind of tend to forget. Um, so there'll be, you know, most of the ash trees around here are white ash, but there are other ash species as well, green mm -hmm. ash you might see in um, more wetland areas. Um, 
But in some places, uh, I think one of the links that I sent you showed you like percentage of ash trees and various, as opposed to the rest of the forest um, yeah. in various parts of New Jersey. And this little strip that we're in here in Lambertville has really kind of a high percentage of. I saw trees. that. That was thank you for sending that. Yeah, and uh, you know that. So what's going to take over and. Because we have a high deer population, it's actually very difficult for new young trees to get established and grow because um, there's so many deer that they tend to eat young trees. And so if we don't do something, we're going to end up with um, a much less diverse uh, woodland area around us, and that's important to all of us. I mean, it, you know, us in, in uh, Lambertville, you and I are up the hill here, but the loss of trees on the hillside means an increased likelihood of flooding down the hill from yep. us. Yeah. Because, okay. you know, the trees help to absorb the stormwater. And if the trees aren't here to do that, it's all going to go downtown. There have already been flash floods in the last several years as a result of, uh, you know, heavy rains that we've had. Coming, flash flooding coming off the hillside, not just coming up from the river, but coming off the hillside. So there's so many ways that it's really an issue and really a problem. Those people oh. who live on Maine, on, on South Maine, in that little strip of 29 that you know, yeah. it was right before the, the flea market it is going to, I like when you said that, that's a, immediately what raced into my mind is that um, a lot of those residents' houses could even be endangered. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah I mean, it, this has repercussions. You bet. You bet. It's, um, you know, and the trees where I live, I, I love it because um, we, um, I live in Woodcrest, it's, but I have an end unit, and it faces south. It faces the farm, the Dondero farm, and there's a bunch of trees between me and the farm. And I, I have the illusion of living in the country, but, you know, I live in the city. And uh, these trees in the summer, they all have leaves on them, and they help us keep our air conditioning bills down. In mm -hmm. the winter, the leaves drop, and, you know, the sun helps to keep our heating bills down. But without the trees, you know, you probably have a thermometer in your car that's telling you what the temperature is as you're driving around. It's almost always, you know, four to eight degrees cooler at my house in the shade than it is when we're out driving around. I mean, it, it makes a difference. All those things make a difference. The trees remove, um, they remove harmful particles from the air, and they produce the oxygen that we need to breathe. So it just becomes a much less healthy environment um, as our environment loses biodiversity. So, and we're making it hard for the environment to kind of repair itself um, because of all the things we've done. <laughs> no. Well, hey, thank but there you. are things we can do to make it better. <laughs> So what's a person in charge to do? You can listen to the science, which might tell us spraying pesticides can save us thousands, perhaps a million dollars, in chopping down and hauling away dead ash trees. Dan Peel saved Village 2 a lot of money and helped preserve the aesthetic and bucolic look of the development. Or you might reconcile that this proactive measure is worse for nature overall. Let the borers run their course. Hope new predators, as well as introduced predators, can take over and possibly contain them. But the effects of the emerald ash borer perhaps are still not being felt. The trees provide us with so many other benefits. 
What are towns going to do, for example, with increased rainfall flowing down hillsides that don't have a lot of trees on them? Budgets are already strapped and people have other priorities due to the current pandemic. We plant new trees and, oh, yeah, and deer eat them. Do we now relax our hunting laws or prolong deer season? Do we send out the wolves? Perhaps these questions contain some elements of hyperbole, but I don't know the answer. And I'm beginning to see what Mary Jane meant, how everything's so interconnected. I guess the best we can do as communities is stay informed, have civil conversations, and act accordingly. If you got through all this, thank you very much for listening to the first episode of Bridge Street. I have another two episodes ready, and if things go well, I'll invest some sound audio grades to hopefully make this experience better for us all. Thank you. Goodbye.